And that's what we're talking about this, uh, for the next couple of weeks. And last week we began talking about false worship. That's not true worship. And so we began talking, and when I say false worship, my, more specifically, idolatry. And, uh, and we began to look at what is idolatry. And we also took a look at what does the Bible say about idolatry. And we also went and looked at what, the, what, what idolatry looks like in today's world. Now, I'm not going to spend much time reviewing last Wednesday because it just takes too much time and I've got too much to cover tonight. But if you weren't here last Wednesday night, let me encourage you to listen to the message on podcast. And uh, I, I, I believe it will challenge you. I also believe it will bless you. Um, but tonight we're going to be looking at the idol called self. And uh, we're also going to take a look at the deception of idolatry. So let's pray and then get right into the word. Father God, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, we could not do it without you. And so we ask, Father God, that you bring forth the word with power, with might, with simplicity, with understanding, Father God. Speak into every one of our lives. Lord, as we come with ears to hear what you have to say. I pray, Father God, for a timely word for everyone that is here tonight that is ready to hear from you. And Father, that your direction will be clear. And Father, I thank you for moving mightily on our behalf. Thank you for the Holy Ghost to speak through me your words of life. And Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you're about to do. And we come expecting, Father God. Thank you, Lord, for experiencing the power, Father, of your presence. And Lord, we give you all the glory and praise in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. There was a movie that came out maybe like in the 60s, early 60s, mid-60s, called The Lilies of the Field. How many remember that movie? Lilies of the Field by Sidney Poitier, one of my favorite actors. And uh, in the movie, there was a a businessman who was in town who was an atheist. And uh, he didn't believe in God. And there was a scene there where all of the townspeople got together to build a chapel for the nuns. And he was one of the ones who volunteered to help build the chapel. And the character that Sidney Poitier played asked the, the, the atheist, I thought you was an atheist. And the businessman says, yes, I am. And then he asked the question, but I don't understand. You're building a house for God. And he says, yes, I am. He says, but why would you do that if you're an atheist? And it was an interesting answer that the businessman had. He says this, just in case. <laughs> See, he was trying to cover all his bases. But that's what Christians do. They have gods tucked away in their pocket just in case God doesn't work. They have idols tucked away. They hang on to certain people, certain places, and certain things. Just in case, in the event that God don't work it out. In the Bible, God never receives or accepts partial or half-hearted commitment. In the Bible, we read that where people try to seek God, but at the same time holding on to the gods of the, of, of the area of the culture and expect to get in with God. But God won't accept that. 
God will not accept half-hearted effort in his relationship with us. God demands complete commitment. Pastor Samuel used to say, if you're not whole hog, you're not whole, you're not whole. What's, how's, how's it go? It's, how'd it go? Let me see. I had it too. If you're not whole hog, then you're no hog at all. That's what he said. And God wants people to be whole hog. Because he demands a complete commitment for every one of us. But too many of us struggle with that commitment. Because we're still holding on to things. Or I should say things are holding on to us. Amen. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. We read that last week. That you shall have no other gods before me or in his place. Idols or the subject of idolatry can be very deceptive. As a matter of fact, I could say that it is spiritually dangerous when it comes to idolatry. Because in today's world, idolatry can take on many different forms. They're, they're very pervasive in this day and age. They're very subtle. And they're very deceptive. Idolatry, and if you can put that up on the screen. And we learned this last week, but idolatry is anything that dethrones God from his place in our hearts and places someone or something else in his place. Think about that. Think about dethroning God from your heart, from his place, with something or someone else. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But what makes idolatry so dangerously deceptive is because it takes on so many different forms, forms that they're not exactly evil. Which is the reason why so many of us are not aware that we're worshiping them. Many of us are worshiping idols and we're not even, not even aware of it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, Paul warns us, or actually I should say warning the Christian church in Corinth of the idol worship that was going on. <clears throat> he says this, in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Very short and very simple. Run from idolatry. And the reason why Paul did that, he had every reason to believe that because Corinth was a major city filled with idol worship. Throughout the city, there was temple, pagan temples, where they worshiped constantly. And one of the attractions of idolatry during that time was, number one, they believed that to have more gods was better and far more superior than to worship one god. In other words, the more the better. Another reason why idolatry was so attractive during that time was idolatry or the worship service, if you will, included sexual immorality, which involved prostitutes. And that was a main attraction for the, many of the men in the city of Corinth. Another one was, was because they believed that several of these temples provided things for them. For instance, the weather god, which is the sun god or the moon god. They depended on this God to provide them with good weather so they can have good crops. They believed in the fertility God and depended on the fertility God to, have, to make sure that their women have children. They also believed on the warrior God, to, uh, depending on them to give them victory and, and, and protection from their enemies. So that's what made it so attractive to the many people. But Paul understood that, which is the reason why he, he warned them to, 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 to run away from any form of idolatry. In 1 John 5, verse 21, we see another warning where it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. In today's world, an idol, and you can put that one up on the screen, an idol, again, we learned this last week, but an idol 
in today's world is an illegitimate, unauthorized person, place, or thing to whom God's people look to for solutions, for hope, and for help. Sadly, many Christians have found God to be so boring in this day and age that they began neglecting Him and replacing Him with something other than God, something that was more satisfying, more entertaining than God, and not realizing that they've dethroned God from their hearts. By going after these idols, what they're saying to God is that Jesus is not enough. Every time we say, I need and you fill in the blanks, in order to be happy, we're saying that Jesus is not enough. So what makes idolatry so deceptive and so attractive, yet dangerous, is that idolatry is having faith in the wrong things. If you remember the story when Jesus was taken up to the highest mountain by the devil in the wilderness when he was being tempted... And the, will, and, and the devil tempted him with all the kingdoms of the nation he will give him in exchange for his worship. But Jesus chose to worship the one person who can offer more than what the devil can offer. Amen. Because you see, Jesus understood that heaven and earth will pass away. That includes all the kingdoms of the nations and all of the world. So why would Jesus invest his life on something that has no eternal value? Idolatry is very deceptive. Go to, first John, uh, go to John chapter 4. John's Gospel chapter 4. In verse 23 it says this, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Now, when I look at that, I realized that for God to be seeking for true worshipers, it must be that important to Him that He has to go looking for them. It also tells me that for Him to be looking for worshipers tells me that there's not enough out there. Where are they? I pray that everyone in this, in this congregation are, will become true worshipers. But listen, before you and I can become true worshipers, before we can qualify as true worshipers, we must take inventory in our lives. That means we need to examine ourselves to see if there's anything that is attached to our lives, anything that is attached to our hearts that would hinder or become a stumbling block to be the true worshipers that God is calling us to be. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 7. True and sincere worship Begins, listen to me, begins when all of the skeletons in our closets are brought out, out into the light and then removed. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, we read where Samuel challenged the people of Israel to prove their loyalty to the Lord by leaving the foreign gods and then turning to God. In verse 3, it says this, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel and saying, If you return to the Lord with all of your hearts... Then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks among you. Stop. He says, if you return to the Lord with all of your heart. In other words, you can't come to God with half-hearted effort or half-hearted commitment. You must come with all of your heart. 
And how do you determine that? By willing to get rid of all the things in your lives. He says that they come and put away all the gods <coughs> and all the asterisks that's among you. When you want to come to God, you've got to be willing to give it everything and anything that is hindering you from getting close to God. I was thinking about this today. We have not scratched the surface when it comes to having the full experience of God. We've not scratched the surface. There is more of God to experience. We're not even there yet. And I believe that in order to pursue God, we have to pursue Him through all of the junk and all of the distractions and all of the hindrances in our lives in order to get to Him. It's not that God is running away from us. It's just that we have, to, we have so much junk to fight through to get to Him. And I believe there's so much more of God. But we need to get rid of some of the things that are hindering us from getting to where God wants us to be. Let me ask you this. How many of you have prayed to God and not yet got an answer from him. Amen. We're all there. Most of us. We're probably waiting on the Lord for an answer. Have you ever stopped to wonder why God never answered those prayers? Could it be that maybe that whatever it is you're asking God for. Will take his place in your heart. Could it be that what you desire from God. Will eventually have you. See, I believe that God, when you're asking God for something, you're going to receive nothing in place of him. Do you understand what I'm saying? You will not get anything from God in place of him. If God knows that what you're asking for is going to have you, why would he give it to you? But I believe that once we get to a place of maturity, when we get to really establish in our relationship with God, when God sees, okay, now I know I have him. Now I know that he has my heart. Then God will answer those prayers because he knows that whatever it is that you desire is not going to have you. It's not going to be your God or your idol. Think about that. And then he says this. And prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And then will he deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. Only when you make a commitment... By getting rid of all of the things in your life that are holding you down, holding you back, and hindering you from receiving all that God has and, exp- and, and interrupting your experience with God, then and only then will you see your, prayers to, uh, your answered prayers. Then will you see healing. Then will you receive deliverance. But you've got to show that God, to God that you, you're willing to commit, that you're willing to, 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 to be all out for Him. It's my prayer for this series. That God or the Spirit of God will personally confront each and every one of us of issues that may be in our hearts. Things that have attached themselves to us. Little gods that we put in our pockets just in case. And to be able to remove any hindrances in our lives. I pray that God will begin to show us those things. So that we can learn to deal with them and put those away. Because, you know, every one of us has the potential to be the true worshipers that God has called. Because worship is part of our DNA. Amen. Because everyone was born with a a desire to worship God, or desire to worship, we're going to worship something or somebody. But because we are are children of God, God desires that we become true worshipers of Him and no one else. 
Do you agree with that? And we talked about the many different forms that idolatry takes, and we talked about how they can take on the form of a person, uh, take on the form of an object or an activity. We talked about how it can take on the form of, of, a, of a pet, of a relationship, your car, computers, your phone, your Facebook, your home, your career, all these things. And all these things are good. But sometimes we allow those things to have us instead of us having it. I want to read a poem to you. It's a very simple poem, but it's a poem that pretty much characterizes our society. And it's, uh, it's called The Tea Party. And it goes like this. I gave a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests and all. I, myself... And me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank all the tea. Twas also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. <laughs> now, this was the description of someone having a tea party. The problem with this particular party was it was a party of one, it was a party involving self. Do you know what the smallest package in the world is? Do you want to know what it is? The smallest package in the world is a person wrapped up in himself. The truth of the matter is that many Christians are so preoccupied with self. And, you know, we are, uh, by nature, creatures that are selfish. We can be self-centered. We have selfish desires. You know, uh, we have selfish tendencies. It's just part of us. So we can't help but to be selfish. But, you know, we don't have to worry about the devil as much as we have to worry about self. Amen? Let me tell you something about self. Self can be our worst enemy. Because self is always trying to have us feed it its passion and desires. Self wants center stage in the throne of our hearts. Self wants to be more important than life. Self wants to always indulge itself with the pleasures of life. Now, we all want Jesus to be firmly fixed and and established in our hearts. But I find that self is always trying to sneak around and trying to climb back on the throne of our hearts to regain control. Because self is all about self. This, this idol called self has become a real hindrance to our spiritual life. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We live in a world that is very self-absorbed. Paul warns Timothy, who at the time was a young pastor, of the danger that lied ahead in the last days. And in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, it says this. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now, the word perilous means difficult or dangerous. So Paul was warning him that difficult and dangerous times will come. When did he say that that those days will come? The last days. Now, I believe that we're already in the last days. And I believe that we live in a day that's already difficult and dangerous. How many of you believe that we live in a dangerous world? So I believe we're there. (laughs) And so Paul goes on to say... And why is it that Paul said that these days will be dangerous? Well, he says in verse 2, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, 
boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Verse 3, unloving, unforgiving, people who will be slanderers, people who can be without self-control, people who are brutal, despisers of good. And he continues in verse 4, people who are traitors, people who are headstrong, haughty, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These are the things that Paul says will become dangerous in the last days. But there are three things in, this, in the list that Paul mentions here that pretty much sums up idolatry in our society. And that is lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and the lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of themselves. I mean, rather lovers of God. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 17. You know, when we think about uh, idols, we don't always associate that with ourselves. We don't always look at ourselves as idols. But after tonight, you're going to begin to recognize that that is possible. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17 says this. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you, have also, as you have us for a pattern. Verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, and watch this, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. The Amplified Version says it like this. Their God is their stomach, and their appetites and their sensuality. Paul was referring to Christians who were self-indulgent. These are people who claim to be Christians, but didn't live up to the standard of true servanthood and self-sacrifice that Jesus set for us. Their gods, he said, were their appetites, their cravings and their desires. When their cravings are for something, when they desire something, it didn't matter how they got it as long as it got fulfilled. If you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul talks about the perilous times in the last days, and he mentions a list of things, one of the things he mentioned was lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. Paul was talking about those who worship their own appetites. And these are people who Paul referred to as enemies of the cross. We talked about the addictions of the world, and there are many alcohol addictions. Drug addiction, gambling addiction, food addiction, sexual addiction. All of these things are addictions that gratify the self. And all of these addictions are also very destructive. But one of the other addictions that are just as destructive as all these other addictions is the addiction of self. Because listen to me. Self is a me addiction. Think about that. Because self becomes a primary concern in the individual's life. It's all about self. It's all about me. Self becomes more important than anything and anyone. Self is all about self. And too many times self wants to dictate our lives. And too many times self wants to do what it wants to do instead of doing what God wants it to do. Go to Luke chapter 9. Jesus had a solution for that. Luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 23. 
There are too many times where self gets in the way of what God is trying to do. In Luke 9, in verse 23, he said this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The Amplified Version reads it like this. Let him disown himself, let him forget himself, let him lose sight of himself and his own interest. Let him refuse and give up himself. Now, let's be honest. For many of us, this is a challenge. But know this, that if we don't do this, the only way that you and I can pick up the cross on a daily basis is if we first deny ourselves. There's no way that you and I can pick up our cross every day if we can't even deny ourselves. If we can't disown ourselves. If we can't put ourselves aside. You know what it means to disown somebody? It means to wash your hands. How many of you have ever had to disown somebody? How many have you to just turn your back and just wash your hands from somebody? Well, Paul is saying, I mean, Jesus is saying that we need to do that to ourselves. Ourselves. But it's very difficult to take up your cross on a daily basis when you're still preoccupied with self. Amen. Amen. See, we have to understand that Jesus understood that this is the only way that we can pick up our cross and follow him. He knew that the only way to do that is by disowning ourselves. But he also knew that self would get in the way of us preventing each day of carrying our cross, which is what God has called us to do. And again, this is the challenge for many of us. But we're not doing it on our own. We're doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Amen. So it is possible to do that, but we got to be willing to do that. It's going to require us dying to ourselves every day. Go to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. As we continue to talk about the idol called self. And verse 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other translations says, your reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is what I want you to see in verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, let me read that to you from the Amplified Version. It says, not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought to, or not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance. In other words, not to overestimate oneself. To think of oneself more highly is a person who's puffed up with his own idea of his own importance and superiority. That's what a person looks at himself as who's puffed up and thinks of himself more highly than he ought to think. Go to Proverbs chapter 6 real quick. To think of yourself more highly than you ought to is pride. And when a person has an inflated view of himself, then this is self-worship. In Proverbs 6, in verse 16, this is what, how God feels about this. He says, six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. 
And verse 17 says, a proud look. And we'll stop right there. An abomination is something that is disgusting and repulsive. When God looks at pride, he is repulsed by it. He is disgusted by it. And that's why it's an abomination to him. See, a proud look is someone who, has an over, who, who, who overestimates himself and underestimates everybody else. That's what a person is who has a proud look, who's proud. You know, when I think of pride, I think about a story about this lieutenant colonel in the army who had just been promoted to colonel. And one day he was sitting in his office, and you know, he was enjoying his new office and getting used to his new rank because colonel's pretty up there. As a matter of fact, it's one step below one-star general. So that's pretty high. So he's enjoying his time and enjoying his new office until a knock came on the door. And uh, the voice on the other side of the door says, Sir, Private Johnson requesting permission to enter, sir. And so the, the colonel, having heard that and wanting to look impressive and important, he ran to his desk and he picked up his phone and he said loudly, Yes, Mr. President. Yes, Mr. President. Yes, I will, Mr. President. I'll take care of that right away, Mr. President. Now, understand that he really wasn't talking to the president. He just wanted to seem like he was talking to the president. In other words, he wanted to appear bigger than he really was. So he continues and he says, yes, Mr. President. Mr. President, can you give me one second, please? And he says, okay, private, come on in. So the private comes walking in and stands in front of the desk of the colonel at attention. And the colonel says, at ease, son. He stands a parade rest. He said, now, son, whatever you have to say to me, talk quickly. Because I got the president on the other line. So tell me, what is it you want to tell me? He said, well, sir, I just come here to, uh, to fix your telephone. See, God has a way of making a fool out of you. <laughs> Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I like what the message translation says. It says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. See, I believe that God, because he loves us so much, that he will prevent us from making a fool of ourselves. Sometimes he'll meddle into your life to prevent yourself from hurting yourself. But sometimes we're stubborn and we don't want to listen. And so we leave God no choice but to say, well, I've done all I can do. And before you know, you fall flat on your face and make a fool of yourself like the colonel. And it's not that God wants to embarrass you. It's not that God wants to make you look like a fool. It's just that we make ourselves look fools because we don't listen to God. But see, man has a tendency to over-evaluate himself. And that's even across the board, even in ministry. When God blesses ministry, man gets the idea that he was the one that accomplished it. But... Don't forget what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. Listen to me. Our bodies 
Our lives are supposed to be on the altar on a daily basis. The truth of the matter is, it makes no difference how established you are in the Word. It makes no difference how many people you saved and led to the Lord. It it makes no difference how enthusiastically we serve God. What matters is that we are on the altar and out of God's way. When we lay ourselves as a living sacrifice before God, then God can do what he needs to do in our lives. But we get in the way of that. When it comes to self, you and I can never be a good substitute for God. Because the quality that we bring in our own lives fall far short of what God can bring to us. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Go to, go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. When we idolize ourselves, we have no choice but to stand on our own power and faithfulness. And if on our own, then we're in big trouble. In John 15, verse 5, listen to what Jesus says. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much fruit. However, apart from me or cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. We read the story of Eve back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. After speaking with the serpent... The serpent convinced Eve that in order for her to be like God, she would have to eat the fruit. And the Bible says that when she saw the tree, she saw the tree as being good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. The moment she saw that tree, all of a sudden it became something that she desired. Something that would benefit her flesh. Something that would benefit her. All of a sudden the tree became about her. And the moment she made an independent decision that would benefit her needs and her desires, that's when she cut all ties from God. It reminds me of a story of a kite. (laughs) This kite was flying and was talking to itself. And the kite said this, if only I can get rid of this string. If the string wasn't holding me back, then I could fly. So I could fly above the clouds. So I could fly as high as I wanted to if I can just get rid of this string. There would be nothing holding me back if I can just cut the string. But I'm limited by the string. So one day, the kite got its wish. The string broke, and the kite came crashing down. See, what the kite didn't realize was... That the same string that kept it up, kept it down, kept it up. So cutting the string didn't make the kite any freer. But the kite didn't realize that it was a string that's holding it up. We will always head towards disaster if we cut the ties or the string of our dependence of God. That's what Jesus was telling us. Because if we do that... We do that because we're searching our own way, our own thing, our own desires. And we know what happens when we do that disaster. But the same string 
that seems to be holding us down is the same string that's holding us up and flying high. Because it's that string that's keeping us from falling. And in Jude chapter 1 verse 24, the Bible says, For it is God that is able to keep us from falling. But if we stay connected with him, you know, we never have to worry about falling. We never have to worry about crashing down. So we need to hold on to the one person that can keep us up in flying high. And don't ever think about cutting the strings and become independent because we saw what happened. Listen, independence didn't work for Eve. Because they got her kicked out of the garden. Independence didn't work for Lucifer. Because he got thrown out of heaven. So what makes us think that we can be independent from God and expect that it work for us? Without him, we can do nothing. Oh my goodness, look at the time. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Pastor Ray, a couple of weeks ago, was in my office. And he was t- telling me a story about the time when, back in 1997, when Reinhard Bonnke was a guest speaker here. Uh, I don't know, Pastor John, do you remember that, 1997? Yeah, some of us who've been here a long time may remember that. <coughs> and uh, Pastor Ray had the privilege of bringing him to the airport, him and his team, and dropping him off in Boston. And uh, Pastor Ray was talking about how he was driving the van, and Reinhard Bonnke was sitting in front next to him. And all of a sudden, just a lot of random, Reinhard Bonnke turned his body like this towards Pastor Ray. And he said this. And you know how intense that Reinhard Bonnke gets. He says, do you know what the sin of the prodigal son was? Self-will. He did what he wanted to do. That's a poor imitation of Reinhard Bonnke, but you get my point. But self-will is the mother of sin. We saw in Isaiah, if you read Isaiah chapter 14, we don't have time to get into it, where Lucifer, who was a high-ranking angel in heaven, wanted to be independent from God and wanted to be like God and developed a selfish ambition thinking that he can be better than God. And of course, the story goes that he came crashing down. He was kicked out of heaven because of self-will. We saw that also in Eve. Self-will is a part of our human nature, and it always strives to make self the center of our own universe. But nothing good can ever come from that, because self-will leads to self-sufficiency. And that's a dangerous combination. Many Christians have become self-willed and self-sufficient. And when they become self-willed and self-sufficient, they become spiritually self-employed. Now, That means they're working for themselves. Now, there's some advantages to being self-employed. I don't know anybody who works for themselves. But one of the advantages of is that you're your own boss. You can make your own hours. You can even create your own pay scale. You have no one looking over your shoulders telling you what to do, and you have no one to answer to. But then there's another side of being self-employed. Because when you work for yourself, you've got to pay for it. You got to pay for your benefits. You got to pay for your insurance to cover you. You might be free to work for yourself, but you're also free to bear the burden and the responsibility of being self employed by yourself. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be self employed. 
I'd rather be employed with God and for God because I know the benefits will come. I know this great health insurance. I know all these things come when you're connected with God. But we don't want to be self-willed because then we become self-employed. And to be self-employed means that you don't need God. You got it all together. So the very essence of sin is a substitution of God's will for self-will. Go to me, go with me to John chapter 5, verse 30, and we'll close here. Nothing or no one, not even yourself, can give you the quality that, and security that only God can provide you with. John chapter 5, verse 30 in the Amplified says this. This is the attitude that Jesus had, and this is the attitude that we must all have. It says, I am able to do nothing from myself independently of my own accord, but only as I am taught by God and as I get his orders. Even as I hear, I judge. I decide as I am bidden to decide. As the voice comes to me, so I give a decision. And my judgment is right, just, and righteous. Because I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself, my own aim, or my own purpose. But only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. This is what God is calling us to do. This is how we're to live. This is what we call, this is the, uh, the attitude that we need to have when it comes to worship. But we need to identify the things in our lives that are false. The things that are holding us back. The things that are getting us in the way of being the true worshipers that God is looking for. We want to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. You're looking for true worshipers? Here I am. But you've got to make sure that you have an inventory in your life and find out what it is that's preventing you from experiencing the fullness of God and to become the worshiper. And you know what? We talk about worship, and I wish that I have a taste of what that was. But that's what we're all striving for. And then in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what is true worship. And we're all going to work, walk together in this journey and find out for ourselves what is. And if we can get a, just a glimpse of what that is, maybe that'll be a start. Maybe that'll be a step in the right direction for us to head so that we can be the worshipers that God has called us and expect us to be. Because again, I tell you, it's in our DNA. Yes, sir. We have the potential to be the worshipers that God desires from us because he created us for that purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Father God, for your word, for the touch of the Holy Spirit, Thank you, Holy Ghost, for speaking to us, giving us a word that is timely, a word that is encouraging, a word that will help us, a word that challenges us, but to be better. Father, we thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. Thank you for stirring up our spirit man tonight. And Lord, we thank you, Father God, as we take this journey, we're going to learn more and more about what it means to be the worshiper that you called us to be. And Father, we ask you right now to give us the strength, the grace, to remove all the things in our lives, idols, objects of worship, whatever it may be, Lord, whatever has us, Father God, we want to give it to you right now. We want to put it away so that we can commit all of our hearts and all of our lives to serving you and being all that you want us to be. So, Father, we thank you. 
we give you the glory and the honor and praise for everything that you are and everything you continue to be. In your precious son's name we pray. Amen and amen.